Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. 2 Samuel chapter 6. So we'll go there. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to back up a chapter because last week I was in 2 Samuel chapter 7, but I wanted to do this little mini series and I wasn't fully prepared. Uh, I had not dug all of it out yet. So I'm going to back up and I'm going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Um, This series that we're in called Extraordinary, it's about looking at David's life, learning from some lessons because David was just an ordinary shepherd, but God took him and did some extraordinary things with his life. And then in this series, I want to kind of, uh, to go into like this little mini series within a series. So it's like a series within a series of just worship. So over the next three weeks, we're going to be, uh, just gleaning some stuff out of second Samuel chapter six about worship. And everything is going to surround the Ark of the Covenant. And if you'll remember last week in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David was trying to bring the Ark back to Jerusalem. That was his first big plan as he became the new president of Israel, so to speak. He became the king over Israel. And so he, he wanted to do this, but God said, no, you're not going to do that. That's, I've got other plans for you. And then uh, someone else, somebody in your line, your son Solomon, is going to actually build the temple. And so the whole thing that he was wanting to build basically a temple was to put that Ark of the Covenant in it. So uh, so what is the Ark of the Covenant? Many of us in this room, we already know that, but there may be some people that don't know what the Ark of the Covenant was. Basically, it's this golden laid box made of acacia wood. Inside of the box, there are some spiritual artifacts in, in that. Uh, there's Aaron's uh, rod, his staff, uh, that supernaturally, that thing budded for, for I, wherever the ark is right now. We don't know where it's at. People have made movies about it, you know. Uh, uh, who is it? Harrison Ford? Is that who it was? Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That you know, they made movies about uh, this thing. Wherever that thing is right now, I suppose. Well, I don't have to suppose that bud, that rod is still budding. And uh, in there, there was a jar of manna, and of course, there were the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue that God gave to Moses. So these are very holy uh, religious artifacts of God's people, and. Uh, So God, when he did this, he had the Israelites build it as a symbol of God's conditional covenant. Now, we live in an unconditional, an agape covenant, where it's totally unconditional. We don't have to work. We don't have to do anything for our salvation, for the atonement of our sins. Jesus handled that one time for us on the cross. That's not the covenant that they lived in under Moses. It was a conditional covenant. And once a year, the priests would go in and they would make sacrifice. And this is how they did it. 
And what they would do is they would spread the blood of a lamb on the mercy seat. That's the top lid of the Ark of the Covenant right there between the two seraphim. Uh, right there, that's the mercy seat. That's where the presence of God, you know, uh, physically manifested himself during those times. And so they would spread that blood on the mercy seat one time a year for the atonement of all the sins of the people of Israel. Uh, God manifested his presence and it resided right there between the seraphim. And then it served as a foreshadow of the unconditional covenant that God would make through Jesus, our Messiah. So this basically was uh, a super important artifact to the Israelites. It, it represented the presence of God in the Old Testament, whereas in the New Testament times, which we live in, um, Holy Spirit is present within us. So to them, it represented the presence of God. It was where the presence of God was. But to us, we have Holy Spirit that lives within us. So the Ark of the Covenant was as important to them as Holy Spirit is to us today. All right, so, uh, so that's the Ark of the Covenant. So where was the Ark? David was trying to bring the Ark back to Jerusalem. So where was the Ark? So to find out where the Ark was, you'd have to really go back into uh, 1 Samuel and, and read some things there. Um, and the Ark basically was lost in battle to the Philistines. These are the Israelite uh, enemies. Because of the moral failure of Eli, the high priest, and, it, and basically his bankrupt morally sons, like his, his sons who were priests uh, also in, the, in uh, the, the tabernacle, they were, you, you know that they were picking up girls at the gate. You know, they were trying to uh, get jiggy with it, with uh, these women and do all kinds of immorally uh, bankrupt things. And they were corrupt, and they handled uh, all kinds of God's stuff in a very uh, uh, ungodly manner. And what happened is they lost this in one of the battles. And they lost it because basically God's spirit had stepped back and was no longer blessing them because of the way that they were living, which is important. The way they were living, that's important as we get deeper into the message. Finally, what happened is they stored it at the house of Abinadab, who's a Levite, for 20 years. So let me just kind of give you a little background story. So the Israelites lose the battle with the Philistines. The Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant. They have the Ark of the Covenant for seven months. But while they have it, it doesn't become a blessing to them. It actually becomes a curse to them. And so tumors start breaking out in all of, of, of the people's bodies. And so uh, they, they had it at Ashdod, and then they, they, uh, they're like, man, we got to get rid of this. Everybody's getting these tumors and everything. We got to get rid of, of this thing. So they sent it over to Gath. When they sent it to the city of Gath, 
the same thing began to happen and people began to get these tumors and, and they're like, man, we got to get rid of this. So we're going to send it over. So Ashdod, Gath, and Ekron, I think was the other city. And when the people of Ekron saw it coming, they're like, uh-uh, no, 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 no. Don't, don't bring that in here. Like we already heard what happened at Ashdod. We heard what happened when y'all sent it to Gath. We do not want that. We already have people getting sick before y'all even bring it. Do not bring that in here. And they're like, where can we send this thing? Because it is, it is a, it's like a radioactive mess in our community. Like we've got to get this out because see, this would, this, that's not where it was meant to be. It was meant to be with God's people. It was meant to be respected and honored. And it was meant to be in the special tent of meeting. It was meant to be in its holy place. And so finally they're like, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to set it on a, uh, we're going to set it on a new cart we're going to, you know, we're, so, so listen to me. This is important and it's so good. Even the pagans revered it. Now, they were forced to revere it, but even the pagans revered it. And they said, we're, we're not going to put it on any old used broke down cart. We're going to put it on a brand new cart. We're going to, uh, we're going to find the best oxen that we can find to pull the cart. We're not going to give it some old cancerous, broke down, tumor infested, about to die on their last leg, literally oxen. We're going to find the best oxen, the prize oxen. So even the pagans are honoring this thing. Now they're honoring it because they fear it. A lot of people worship God because they fear him. And I'm not talking about in a reverence way. They, 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 they do certain things because they don't want to go to hell. And they, they live a faith, uh, their life of faith is basically uh, lived out of fear. God's going to get me. God's going to punish me. God's mad at me. God is holding this against me. God, I must have done something wrong because I'm not getting X, Y, or Z. Are you following me? And so even the pagans are setting this thing up and they're like, we're going to put it on a, a, a brand new car. We're going to get the best uh, uh, oxen to pull it. And this is what we're going to do. We're just going to put it on the road and point it towards Israel uh, and, and Jerusalem. We're, we're going to let it go and, and nobody's going to guide it. And this is how we'll know if it crosses our border and enters into enemy territory, which was the Israelite territory, then we will know that it was God that brought this thing upon us and we're doing the right thing. They set it out, man, that thing goes right on down the road and uh, it goes to this town called Beth Shemesh. And so at Beth Shemesh, there are people out in the field and they're just hoeing and doing their, their, their work thing. And can you imagine what they see? The very thing, the prized possession that they have, that has been lost for seven months to the, to the pagan uh, enemies. They see it coming and they are excited. They are so excited and they cheer and they run and they, they uh, tear the cart apart and burn a, uh, make a fire and they kill the uh, oxen and they barbecue that and they, they give it up as a sacrifice and they have a celebration and everybody's happy because the ark, which is the presence of God to Israel at that time, the presence of God has returned. Everybody's happy. Everybody is excited. 
All right? But y'all heard what's inside of it, right? The Ten Commandments. The budding staff rod of, of Aaron. Manna. Man, you couldn't even pick that stuff up and save it. Remember? God said, you only go out and pick up what you need for the day. You don't store it up. But he allowed some to be preserved in the ark. Wonder what it looks like. Wonder what it tastes like. Let's just have a little peek. Let's just peek inside. And so they're, they're going to have a peek show. They push it back and they're like, oh my gosh. One by one, over, uh, uh, over 60, I think it was 70 in total, men go and they look inside. Later, all 70 of them died because they broke the law of God. You know, it's like your kids, you have those Christmas presents and you got them out and you tell them you better not open this present. Any of y'all ever open a Christmas present that you knew you weren't supposed to? I was good at it, man. I knew how to get that knife, that sharp knife and go along the seams of the tape and open it up and look at it and be like, woo, and then fold it back up and put the tape on it. I don't know if mama ever knew. She knows now if she's watching. But, uh, but so that's what's happening here. They're breaking the law of God by looking into that, all right? Well, why didn't God want to, I don't know, why do you not want your kids to look at the present? I don't know. Like, that's just what God, it's his law, his way. He owns it. He gets to say what happens to it. And so what happened is when they, uh, the people of Beth Shemesh, when that happened and 70 of their leaders died, they're like, man, we got to get this out of here. We have to, we have to send this to someplace else. So they called the people at Kiriath-Jerim and said, y'all got to come get this. We found it. You know, y'all come get it. We've been looking like for it. Well, they, they come from Kiriath-Jerim and they come and they get it. And when they bring it, they take it to Abinadab's house, which is a Levite, which is in the, in the priestly line. They take it to one of the leaders, basically of the church, and they store it there for 20 years. Now, is it in its rightful place? No. Where's it supposed to be? In, in, in the tabernacle, a tent. David's already got a tent for it. It's already that. But is it in its rightful place? No, it's over at Abinadab's house. All right? So you have to understand there's a lot of stuff going on in, in this. So it's there for 20 years. And part of that time is when Saul comes to power. Saul is the first king of Israel. All right? So during this time, Saul is killed. God removes his hand from him because he stops following the ways of God. God raises David up. And somewhere in all of this timeline of 20 years, and David, I don't know, they, they talk about he, he must have been like maybe 30 as he's becoming into his kingly reign. All right, so when you think a, a two-thirds of his life, the Ark has, of the Covenant has been in a place that he's not super familiar with. Like not, not, not all of Israel is going over to Abinadab's house to uh, make atonement. So this is really, really important. So Saul is the king of Israel, and in, in uh, much of his reign, wh where, where's the presence of God in the spiritual acts? 
Where's this, where is the, the presence of God? It's over at Abinadab's house in the back room somewhere when it should have been in the house. Are you following me? Because this is really important. Spiritual things were happening. Spiritual stuff was happening. Religious things were happening. Sacrifices didn't stop getting made. This was a regular ongoing thing, but the presence of God was not there. Are you following me? This is a really important point that you don't need to miss. During the reign of King Saul, he truly did not care if the presence of God was there or not. We're going through the motions. That's what his reign was. His reign was a let's go through the motions. It's Sunday morning. Get your tail up. Get out of bed. We're going to church. I don't want to go to church, mama. While you live in my house, you going to church. I don't feel like going to church either, baby. Get your tail in the car everybody's arguing everybody's trying to get to the church and you know nobody wants to worship when they're walking in because they just had a major blowout nuclear uh, explosion in the car and you know don't feel like it and so we get in here and it says why because we got to check off our list that we went to church and we were good people are are you following me this is what was happening in the rule of king saul Spiritual stuff going on, services going on, but the presence of God is not there. But lo and behold, God finds this little boy. He's on the backside of a desert. Nobody knows he's there, but God knows it. See, because, because worship is like, uh, I said this to one of our teaching teams recently. Worship is a magnet for the presence of God. Worship is a magnet. When you begin to worship, you don't have to beg God to come. It's like it draws him. It just draws him. I want to, what is that that I hear? What is, oh man, that's beautiful. Even the, even the stuff that went on this morning, us going off the road and it not being right and not the right tempo and we're trying to figure it out, is beautiful to him. Because God, we know from 1 Samuel 16 and 7, God looks at the heart. God knows we ain't trying to win any Emmys. We're not trying to win the Dove Awards up here. All we're trying to do is sing praise to our God and exclaim uh, our, our joy and appreciation for all he's done for us. That's what that looks like. Well, he found one of those guys, but he's out there with sheep and he's got his old guitar, you know, <laughs> twanging away, Lord, I love you, you know. As the deer pants after the water, so my soul longs for you, Jesus. You know, he probably wasn't saying Jesus, Messiah or Yeshua or something. But he's just out there, man, and God's like, oh, I hear that. That's who I want to be the leader of my people. And so he, he, he finally brings him to this place in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that we talked about last week. And he puts him into this place of prominence, puts him into this place of power and leadership. And what does he want to do? Because David loves Israel, but he really, 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 really loves God. He is madly in love with God. So what does David want to do? Like, you know what I want to do the first thing when I get there? Anybody ever said that? The first thing that I'm going to do. The first thing that I get there, we're going to find the ark. We're going to go get it from Abinadab's house, and we're going to bring it back. And I'm going to build a mighty temple. No. 
That's not what you're going to do. You are going to, what you're going to do is you're going to bring the ark back. Somebody else is going to do that. But he brought, it was very important to him. It was very important to him. So this is what David says. He says, it's time to bring the ark of our, uh, back the ark of our God. Look at this last part. It's super important. For we neglected it during the reign of Saul. He's, he realizes, listen, has anybody noticed like the, the temple services lately? They've kind of been a little dry, a little lackluster, you know, that whole another sacrifice thing. Maybe we need something more. It's like we need to bring the Ark of the Covenant back. Has anybody seen that thing lately? I hadn't seen it. Last I heard, man, 20 years ago, they brought it to Abinadab's house. I think it's still over there. So they go to Abinadab's house and they bring it back. And chapter 6 is all about the record of how they bring this back. Okay? So here's the takeaway today. There are two things that are vitally important in worship. The presence of God, vitally important. And the way we approach God. The presence of God and how we approach God. Those two things are vitally important. Listen, if the presence of God is not here, and I know the presence of God shows up in different ways almost every given Sunday. You don't necessarily, you aren't able to necessarily duplicate. You know, that's not what we're trying to do. We don't try to manipulate and go, wow, last Sunday was amazing. Let's, let's try to do that again. That's not what we have. You know, if you're around here for any length of time, there's this, there's this kind of like little mantra that I say, God, today we've come for an encounter with you. And whatever that looks like, we say yes to that. If it looks like no preaching, great. If it looks like no singing, great. If it looks like people coming and praying here, great. We do some of all all of those. But listen, when I was growing up, you know how the Holy Spirit moved, right? You know how the Holy Spirit moved? Anybody know? Come on, you know. How do you know, man, when you had a good service? The preacher didn't even get to preach it. My God, Holy Ghost was moving. He was moving. And the preacher didn't even get to preach it. I'm telling you it's good. I'm telling you it's good. That, that's how it was, you know. But, but sometimes I don't get to preach. And sometimes I do. And sometimes we do this. And sometimes. But it really doesn't matter what it looks like. Just that we encounter God and his presence. But if we don't encounter God, and it might be through the teaching of the word. You know, it might be a word-heavy mess, uh, 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 service that day. Or it might be a prayer-heavy or a prophetic-heavy. Whatever it might look like, you know. And so, if we don't have the presence of God here, man, I'm just telling you, we don't need to meet. We don't need to be here. So, the presence of God is vitally, number one, vitally important, more important than anything else. But also vitally important is the way we approach God. And so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about our approach to God. And I hope, you know, I I hope that you will, like, that we all will grow. Because there, there are times where it's like, I realize 
areas where I need to grow. And what am I going to do with that? I have to do something with it or I could do nothing with it. So how do we approach God? Because the way we approach God is very important. So let's read first, or 2 Samuel chapter 6. Let's go there, okay? 2 Samuel chapter 6. David is moving the ark. He's gone to Abinadab's house and he's bringing it in to the tent of meeting. Ready? I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Then David gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. That's just the elite troops, the SEAL teams, the Navy SEALs. That's, you know, it's the, it's the major high-end troops. He led them to Belah of Judah to bring back the Ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who is enthroned, where does he sit? He is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the Ark of God on a new cart, and they brought it from Abinadab's house. What did they do? They placed it on a new cart. I wonder where they got that idea from. Hmm. Okay. Anybody know? Hmm? All right. It, we're going to get into this, man. This is good. They put it on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, uh, Abinadab's sons, they were also Levitical. All right, so they're also priestly. They were guiding the cart that carried the ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the ark, and David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs, playing all kinds of instruments, musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. All right, so are you getting the picture? 30,000 elite troops alone, not including all of the people of Israel. I don't know if it means every single Israelite was there, but however many it was, it was a bunch of them. All right, and they've got this huge uh, uh, celebration with with uh, massive amounts of music and singing and and uh, lots of pageantry going on. I mean, they're making a big deal out of this. Verse six. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, uh, that's that's where they would trample down the weed and and you know to where they could make flour. So that so they have to pass by, pass through this place, you know. So hey guys, we're coming to a rough spot, you know, in the road. Um, the, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Well, that's a nice thing. It's fixing to fall off the thing. It's fixing to fall off because the oxen stumble. I'm just going to steady it, okay? That's a good thing. That's a very, the intention is well meant. So, um, verse 7, then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark. Boom. I mean, man, no long death there. Just like, boom, dead. Um, David was angry because of the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named that place, circle that. He named it. He named that place Perez Uzzah, which uh, means to burst out against Uzzah as it is still called that day. Every time David drives by, He's go, mm-hmm. Perez, Uzzah, Uzzah, drop dead right there. Verse 9, David was now afraid, circle afraid. He was now afraid. So it's developed. It went from anger to now he's, it's developed into fear. And, and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? 
So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed uh, Edom of Gath. Uh oh, it's already been to Gath. They didn't want it. They found somebody who would take it. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed Edom. Obed Edom uh, also was uh, a Levitical uh, uh, of the tribe there, so he was priestly. Blessed Obed Edom and his entire household. So while it's there, it's not, it's blessing them this time. All right. Then King, verse 12, then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed Edom's household and everything he has because, his household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. And after the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, one, two, three, four, five, six, sacrifice. David sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. That's important. With all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of the ram's horn. All right, so I think I'm going to leave all of this part about Michael, his wife. I think I'm going to leave that until next week, all right? So, yeah, I think we can, if we need to go back to it, we can. So listen, what's happening? He's gone to get the ark. Um, he tried to bring it in, Ark stumbled, Uzzah reached out to kind of steady it and and stop it from, you know, crashing. Maybe he thought it was going to break. Maybe he thought it would damage it or something. He's just going to do it. He reaches out and it's like, I'm gone. You know, I'm just out dead. Anger, uh, David sees that. David gets angry. He's like, I'm trying to do a good thing here. Come on, man. Like, I got rejected on the temple, and now I'm trying to bring the thing back, and one of my guys gets, you know, smited by the Lord, you know? It's not a good thing to get smited. It's a bad thing. And so he's angry at God. Not only that, it develops into fear. He parks it over at Obed-Edom's house, but God always intended to bless the people of God when they had the presence. Obed-Edom's got it. Everything begins to be blessed. Hey, David, did you know that this is happening over at Obed-Edom's house? Huh, then let's go get that thing. But what we're not told here, that if you'll read in 1 Chronicles later, see, when you go to 1 Chronicles, you'll read a lot of this same story again there. But it's in more detail, and it tells you greater detail than what we have here of what happened while it was at Obed-Edom's for that three months, okay? So here's a few things that I want to share with you. Uzzah's era, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about David's anger, and then we're going to talk about David's passion. So Uzzah's error, like what was the problem, man? He was trying to do something good, and then he, he ends up losing his life over it. And I used to read this and was so confused at like, why would God kill somebody that was trying to do something good for him? And see, it's not, you know, we always say, well, it's the heart that counts, right? No, and yes, it's the heart that counts, but it's also the actions. Like, 
you can have good intention, but good intentions need to also be brought forth in good actions. Because if you're not bringing forth things in good actions, you need correction. And that's what was happening here. I want you to look at this real quick. Uzzah number one, he was ignorant of God's word. See, we have the God's word in, in an Old Testament, New Testament version. They had it in a version called the Torah. And he was ignorant of God's word. And he should not have been. Why? Because Uzzah was raised in Abinadab's house. Who is Abinadab? Abinadab is a priestly figure. He's a Levite. He's a church boy. These are, this, these are church kids. Are you following me? They have been raised, they, they have to know, they have to know by heart the first five books of the Bible. They have to be able to recite them by heart. They have to know the Pentateuch. They still do that today in Orthodox Judaism. These, these are kids, they should know God's word and they should know how the ark is to be handled. But he didn't. He didn't know the word. See, if he knew the word, Come on, man, this is good. If he knew the word and that thing stumbled and began to fall, this is what his reaction would have been. Oh, dude, let me get out of the way here. Like, that would have been his response if he knew the word. And how many times do we not, not know the word and then we get ticked off like David because David didn't even know the word. If they knew the word. They never would have been on this procession like it was. I mean, this is good stuff, man. It's so deep. I, I don't know if I can recall everything that I've studied about this. The ark could not be transported on a, on a cart, which is mechanically. It had to be carried by people, the Levites, the holy people of God, which was personally. Listen, there is a message in there, man. The presence of God, God does not care if we have the best musicians. God does not care if we have the uh, most eloquent uh, preacher. God does not care if we meet in a pasture or if we meet in this building. God doesn't care if you got lights or, or no lights. Uh, God doesn't care about any of that mechanical stuff. What he wants, we can have it, but what he really wants to know are people carrying me upon their hearts. And he says, you know, the ark is not made for that. The ark was, was, was made to be carried by the holy people of God. So that was their first error. Like, they never should have been in this place in the first place. So he was ignorant of God's word. But I wonder, was he too lax concerning the holy things of God? Think about this now. You've got the most prized artifact in all of, of Judaism parked at some uh, elder's house or some deacon's house. Are you following me? Yeah. Well, he passed that every morning when he got up to go to the bathroom to take his morning bathroom break. Oh, there's the ark. It's been there his whole life. This is good. The ark has been there. Yeah, we set Mama's flowers on top of it sometimes. It looks real pretty, you know. Oh, yeah, that's our, that we, we put our family Torah on it, you know, the family Bible, the family Torah, you know. Uh, it, could it have been that 
And, and this is just conjecture. You understand, Scripture doesn't say this. I'm just wondering, could it have been that Uzzah was so familiar that, see, while it was at their house, they were blessed. It was a good thing. It's a lucky charm, so to speak, for them. He's so familiar with it, man. And they ain't even got to worry about it. It says that while it was there, everything that they had was blessed continually. Oh, man, that thing's good. You know, and you just become familiar with it. I'm telling you what, sometimes we become so familiar with the things of God. Lord, help me try not to get off too deep in the soapbox weeds. But there's good stuff in the soapbox weeds. Sometimes we get so, so lax concerning the holy things of God. We get lax in, you know, uh, to me, one of my pet peeves, can I just tell it to you? I am going to tell it to you, by the way. <laughs> one of my pet peeves is like, it, it bothers me. Um, and this is something I wish that our church would do better. It bothers me that when we start service, there are 10 people in the room. That bothers me. Like, is it, it are, what we doing, is it not important? Like, I just wonder, tomorrow when you go to work, are you going to get to work 20 minutes late? Are you going to be driving to work going, yeah, 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 I, I'll get there, but I want to stop by Starbucks before I go. It's going to put me there, you know, 15 minutes late, but... I'm going to, could it be, church, that we have become so lax about the things of God that we just don't even approach it as holy anymore? Like, what happens in this place is holy. What happens in this place is holy. Could it be that we don't see some of the things of God that we want to see because one, we don't come with expectancy. We come and we expect needs to be met, but we don't really come with like, God, what are you going to do today? God, what is going to happen? God, what can I bring? Um, I truly believe that the church, and I, I don't mean just destiny, I mean just the church in general, has become very, very, uh, uh, lacks concerning the holy things of God. That's why when on the, uh, the day, the Sunday, and really the day after 9-11 happened, churches across our nation were maxed out. They were having prayer services. You know, people, they, they couldn't fit them in the churches. And of course, that wears off. What, if you just look at Israel's history, that is Israel to a T. Every time something bad happened, everybody gets all spiritual. But then it just kind of wanes back to this place of complacency. And something bad happens and we get back to that place, you know. And I, I'm telling you the truth, whether you, whether you believe it or not. And so could it have been that he was too lax concerning the things of God? The ark had been in his home for 20 years much of his lifetime had he become too familiar with it. At the very least, he disregarded God's warning. Like God gave a warning. The news of the death of 70 men from Beth Shemesh, 
that disregarded God's laws about touching that, looking into it. They disregarded that. Why did they do it? Because they were also ignorant of, of, of what the Torah taught them. They didn't know. So what they did, they did it out of ignorance. They teach us ignorance of the law is what? No excuse. It didn't matter if you didn't know the speed limit was 45 here. I can't help that you were ignorant of that. It's 45. Thank you, sir. Have a nice day. Like we say that in our civil culture, in the spiritual culture, it's not God's fault that you and I don't know the word. His word is the word, and it operates as the word says it operates. And the news of 70 men would have been a huge deal. That news, I mean, it, it wasn't like it happened 12 years ago. This literally just recently happened. That news would have been everywhere. Like, they should have known, hey, y'all heard about them old boys over there at um, Beth Shemesh, didn't you? Yeah, they looked up inside of the thing and boom, 70 of them, boom, just like that. As we move this thing, y'all better not touch it. You, uh, like, we need to handle this thing with kid gloves like it's filled with, you know, dynamite or something. All right? But they didn't. So he was ignorant of God's word. He might have been too lax with it. And at the very least, he did not regard the warning that God had sent them from Beth Shemesh. Okay? So let's look at David's anger real quick. David was angry at God because he was trying to do the right thing. So that's a natural response to be evoked. Like, man, I'm trying to do the right thing and look at what happened. So he was angry at God, but David was, all, was also angry at God because he was embarrassed. He was offended. I'm trying to do the right thing and look at what happened. And look, man, I've got 30,000 of my elite troops. They look up to my leadership. I've got all of my people here. I'm the new, uh, newly appointed leader of Israel. This is embarrassing. I'm angry. It's, it's, it's a natural response that he has here. But I want you to look at this. David named the place of his anger. I'm never going to forget this. I ain't going to forget this. I ain't letting this go. This is important. He named the place of his anger. He made a monument to his anger. I'll tell you what. Right there, I tried to do the right thing. You remember when I tried to do the right thing. I was trying to help God. I was trying to do the right thing. I was help, trying to help the preacher. I was trying to help my boss. I was trying to help my wife. I was trying to help my husband. I was trying to help my kids. And, and this is how you repay me? This is what I get? And now we're not going to speak for 15 years? David named his place. My friend, listen to me. Be careful, be careful, be careful that you don't name your hurt. Like you don't build a monument to your hurt. Some people, their whole testimony is about their place of hurt. They are victims for life. Because I got hurt or I was abused here. Listen, my abuse is part of my story. It is not my story. It's not the key point of my story. All right? My, that, that, it's, just a little, it's just a little blip on the radar. The point of my story is that I'm thriving. The point of my story is that I've talked to people and I've, I, I've literally had counselors say to me, dude, I don't see how you're, 
saying, I don't see how you've made it this far. That is the victory. That's the point right there. And you don't name that. You don't keep going back to that place. And no, no disrespect, no disrespect if, uh, if you are, are somebody that has done this. I truly uh, don't want you to think I'm, I'm disrespecting you. I'm giving you a real life example. When, when people have a death, uh, you know, I had a brother that was killed in a car accident. It's very tragic, just instantly killed. And we, my family, we don't go to that place. Now, I know where it's at, but we don't go to that place. We don't take flowers to that place. We don't have a little white cross sitting beside the road with his name on it or, or anything like that. We don't do that. Why? Because we don't want to keep going back to a place of hurt. You know, and so when I travel that, when I'm back home and I travel that lonely road that leads uh, to that little town that he lived in, I don't get this overwhelming feeling of grief and loss. Are you following me? But if we had made a monument for him beside the road, every time I would go by, I'd feel something. I'd relive that day over and over and over again. And what happens a lot of times in our lives as, as, as Christians, we will get hurt. We will get uh, hurt by the church, hurt by your family, hurt by somebody, you know, in the business world. Uh, get hurt by God. I don't know how many of us have been angry at God before. Every hand in the house probably should go up. I've been angry at God. I was angry at him last week you know but but I don't build a monument to it I don't build a monument to it and David he was sulking for three months while he parked that thing over at Obed-Edom's house but what happened is uh the word got out the word got out about the blessing and David's like let me revisit this let me revisit this look at this last one David became afraid of the Lord his perception of God was negatively affected. David, think, think of this. David was afraid of the Lord, not revered in, in like, like fear the Lord. He was afraid of God. If you go back and you read all of David's exploits up until this point, and the Lord was with David, and the Lord was with David. And the Lord was with David. And the Lord caused David to, ex to succeed in everything he did. And the Lord was with David. And the Lord was with David. And the Lord was with David. And it was because the Lord was with David that he was able to do this. And all of a sudden, the God who was there, who was his resource, who was his Jehovah Jireh, who was his Jehovah Shalom, who was his Jehovah everything, all of a sudden, that God, the, the good God, the God that was there for me and everything, all of the sudden, this experience that happened because of his ignorance, now I'm afraid of God. I don't even know how to serve you anymore. I don't even know what to do anymore. I might as well just, I'm, I'm withdrawing. I'm backing up. I'm not doing anything. Listen, can I tell you reverse for a Christian is, is the wrong direction. Now, now listen to me because please listen to me. That's a generalized statement. I am not saying that you, there's never a time to step back, pause, evaluate. I'm, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is if you are in a place of hurt, if you're in a place of, uh, of, of anger, almost always, almost 
always, if you retreat and you isolate, you withdraw, that is the wrong movement. You should press forward. You should press in. You should be part of a family that will help you sort through those feelings, that will help encourage you, uh, help reconcile some of those feelings. But withdrawing, I'm telling you, is almost always the wrong answer if it's coming from a place of hurt. Because I'm telling you what's going to happen during that place of hurt. The man after God's own heart. The man God chose to rule his people. The one that you wouldn't think the enemy could get to, got to. The one that you would think that the enemy could not get to because him and God were like this, the enemy got to him. God has not given us a spirit of? So who gives us a spirit of fear? That comes from the enemy. So the enemy gets into this mix and the enemy makes him afraid of the one thing that is his, that his, is his source of everything. So, David's anger. Look at this. His passion is what drove him to the word of God. Now, you don't see it in chapter 6, but in 1 Chronicles chapters 1 through 15, it tells a lot of this story more in depth. And look at what David said. So David says, because... The Levites did not carry the ark the first time. The anger of the Lord, our God, burst out against them. We failed to ask God how to move it properly. What's happened in those three months in chapter 6 that it's parked over at Obed-Edom's house? David's not just sitting there sulking. He's, he's sulking a little bit, but he's also being productive. And he's like, guys... It, I know my heart. I know my heart. Man, I know you've been accused of things. I've been accused of things. And at the end of the day, it's like, you know, accusations, they just come. But at the end of the day, it's your heart. And it's like, I know my heart. Oh, I know I, I, know I may have done that wrong or I, that, that wasn't the right way to do it. But I know my heart. So I got to go and figure out what happened here. David is going and he's going, what happened Bringing the ark of God is a good thing. It's not only a good thing, it's a God thing. But it still went south. It still turned out terrible. Why? So what does he do? He does what he should have done the first time. He goes and gets the Torah. He goes and consults the priest. And he's like, look, nobody's paid any attention to this thing. Most of us hadn't even heard a lot about the ark and, and all of the intricate uh, ways to handle it. Nobody's read the instruction manual in a while. Let's get that thing out and let's read it. And as they begin to read over in Leviticus and how this thing is supposed to be handled, they're going, oh my God, we, what we were doing. And remember how they brought it in? They brought it in on a new ark. Uh, uh, they brought it in on a new cart. Well, where did they get that idea? From the pagans. Woo, my God. That's a, that's a message in and of itself. The spiritual leaders are copying culture. Oh, Jesus. I wish I was black. Because I would flat out preach the daylights out of that. You know how T.D. Jakes and them will get on something like that? Man, they can flat out preach it. I can't. I can only preach like a white boy. <laughs> Listen, they 
were copying the pagan way. When they should, have no, they should have gone to the Lord, consulted the Lord, they were just copying what they saw. Listen, man, we got to be careful that when we come into this house that we're not copying the culture. I, I get it, you know, I, the, the lights and all of that, yada, yada, yada. We, we got some stuff. And we also have to remember, well, I walked into the church and it looked like a nightclub. Well, no, nightclubs actually look a lot like the church. Are, are you following me? If you, if you look, the nightclub actually is, 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 in a way, a picture of the church. Like, they, they take the things, there's never, oh, listen to me. There's never, ever, ever been anything that God took from Satan. You know, well, I... I'm not, we, we're not going to use rainbow colors. We're not, we're, I, I literally heard a pastor one time say, uh, we're not going to post any rainbows up in the church. You know, like Noah's Ark, we can't be using the rainbow. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, you know, the, I don't want people to think that we're supporting the gay movement. And I'm like, no, you're supporting the covenant that God made with Noah. And the ark is, uh, the, the, the rainbow is a sign of his covenant with Noah. You know, we didn't get that from the pride people. The pride people took that from the the church. There's nothing the world has uh, that they created on their own. Everything, they perverted it and manipulated into something different. But a lot of times, the the, the clubs and things out there, they, they, they are a perverted, yeah, I said it. They are a perverted, distorted version of a church setting community. Like, There's breaking of bread, there's communion, there's wine, there's drinks there, you know, all right? There's community, there's community. There's unconditional, there's agape there. There's unconditional love in that place. Man, I don't care where you've been, what you've done. Oh, heck, you should hear my story, you know? And and it's just acceptance. There's, so it's, 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 it's just there. I don't know how I got on that, so let me get back on this. But God drove him to the word. His heart for God, his heart, he knows his heart. So his heart goes back to God.